Hey, everybody, welcome to the Apple Log Podcast, episode number 79. 79 episodes, everybody. Pretty cool, huh? This episode is brought to you by fetchclass.com. Fetchclass.com is a teaching and learning system. It's set up so teachers and students can learn in a one-on-one video conference. It's free to join, it's fun to use, and everybody should go over to fetchclass.com and get more information. I'm thinking about opening it up. If you're interested in teaching anything, whether how to cook or how to tie knots, please contact me through the fetchclass.com contact page and we'll set you up. Okay, Doki, insert recorders. Now, dealing with download codes. If you're a band that plays around and you've put out a CD and you want to get into the digital download domain, yet you don't want to deal with Bandcamp and be in this big pool of iTunes where you won't sell anything, and you want to sell something over the merch table that's downloadable, contact InsightRecorders.com and we will set you up with a thing for your web page. So you just put this little piece of code in and you'll have download codes and prices are very affordable and right on par there with iTunes and you feel like you're dealing with your own shit. You're never dealing with anybody else like iTunes. They never pay. Bandcamp, I don't know. I've never heard of it. Okay. Um, this is part where the, all the affiliate programs come in. And to do the affiliate program, what you need to do is go to the appalog.ca and you'll see all the banners on the right side. And all those banners, you click on it, you bookmark the link, and then you will go to that link and every time you'll shop it. One of them is musiciansfriend.com. Musician's Friend is a place to buy music stuff. It's uh, They got deals and they have all sorts of <clears throat> crazy, neat little bargains that happen from time to time. Go to Musician's Friend for more information or go to Avalok.ca and click on the banner. Banggood.com, everybody. Banggood.com is the crazy uncle of Amazon. You can purchase anything you want at a discounted rate. But if you're interested and you want to get a good deal and you're not worried about waiting for it, like I bought a 3D printer for 500 bucks. You probably hear it in the background. All sorts of things. Uh, If you're into remote control cars, planes, that's the thing to do. Buy stuff from banggood.com. Go to the Apple site. The big one, everybody, amazon.com.ca or .co.uk. Whether you're from the United States, Canada, or the UK, shop on Amazon. But before you do, please go to the appalog.ca page, click on the banner, bookmark the linked banner, and shop in knowing that you're supporting the show. While you are on the appalog.ca, click on the shop, on the store, and pre-order my new acoustic album, purchase the complete four-square discography, 50 songs for 20 bucks, and purchase a shirt. And shirts are running out. So if anybody wants to get a shirt and you want to get some shirts, better get them now, okay? Patreon.com slash Apolog is a place to go and support the show. It is a very cool thing. It's a monthly pledging system where you can pledge as little or as much as you want. You can cancel at any time. And what it does is this pledging amount supports my gas fees and hosting fees. I have three awesome patrons, Michael Pitts, Curtis Pippen, and Mark Peralta. Thanks, guys, for supporting the show. Like the show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. And go to iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 
It really does help the show out when you download from iTunes, okay? Also, now you can go to Google Play and, and find that if you're an Android-type person, you can go to Google Play and download the podcast from there. My guest today is none other than Stefan Egerton of The Descendants and of All. Stefan and I have been friends since the early 90s. Stefan recorded a first album I ever played on by the band called Kingpin, which eventually we call ourselves Trigger Happy. Stefan is a very, very cool guy, and he's been the same guy that I've known since the early 1990s. He's been everywhere, done everything. He's worked with some great, amazing bands. He's an amazing musician himself. Everybody, let me introduce you. You're probably already here anyways because you know him. Mr. Stefan Egerton of Descendants. Give her... Shiza. Oh, Stefan, my gosh. We have been friends. We've worked together. We've, I don't know, we've done everything. It's like since the early 90s. And I feel like you're probably one of my longest standing uh, musical friends. And uh, I appreciate you coming on my my teeny weeny little podcast to uh, talk turkey. No, absolutely. I'm glad to do it. Uh, (laughs) I'm not the best interview in the world, but hey, we'll do what we can. See, the whole idea behind this is just really, it's conversation-based. It's not like, it doesn't need to be like, tell me how awesome you are. Um, you don't need to command the conversation. It's just, this this, this is the part, like, it's like a phone conversation. Um, right. You know, it's exactly what it is. And I'm, on the other side of it, I'm not the best interviewer-er. So, uh, you know, we'll get through this. <laughs> cool. Well, good. Then that, then, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll work in our limitations and our... You know, supposed talents. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in Oklahoma, right? I am. Yeah. Also. Yeah, yeah. And you moved down there. You were well. Let's let's sort of like because you'd moved from you were in Fort Collins. Yeah, I I I don't remember. I guess we moved to Fort Collins in like '94 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And then um and then I guess. I, I've been here like 13 years or something like that in Oklahoma. I've been here a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved here so that my kids could be around grandparents. And um, so we're here, you know, close to where my, my wife's, you know, my, my wife's parents live here, which is great. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So, you know, here we are. Tulsa, <laughs> where <my life> is. <laughs> Where's, where are your parents? My parents are, uh, one is a little outside of Washington, D.C., and the other is in Grand Junction, Colorado. My mom lives near D.C. and, and um, works at the uh, National Library of Medicine. And, um, and my dad is retired and, and lives, um, he, he had a, a second family after, after my folks split up. So he lives in Grand Junction where my next to oldest sibling half you know half sibling who's a grand 21 years younger than me but um but uh he lives uh where her and her baby are so cool yeah 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 man so you're originally where are you from originally like from like early days as as a child where where's where's your origination i i grew up in salt lake city Mm -hmm. um i was born in north carolina but and my folks moved around a bit um 
and we landed where my father grew up in Salt Lake City, and that's where we were. Uh, I guess I lived there till I was 20, um, and then I moved to uh, Washington, D.C. for a little while, and that's where I was living when um, I got the chance to join Descendants and bailed out and moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. What year was that then? That would have been 80-something. Yeah, we. I moved to. I moved to um, to California in late '86. Okay. Uh, so when I, I guess I, I was thinking about that. You know, when, uh, you know, anniversaries and so on. So it's been thir- You know, close to thirty years. It'll be thirty years in August that mm-hmm. um, where I first, you know, went and played with the band and mm-hmm. and joined. So yeah. Mm-hmm about that a couple days ago yeah oh because that is i mean you're part of the descendants and descendants are one of the most influential punk rock bands i don't know i can't really name a lot of bands that did a lot there are bands out there obviously but the the descendants seem to just reign true always through from from the early days of punk rock into power pop and into modern punk rock and then still today i mean that's a long career man yeah somehow People have continued to listen to it, which <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, you know, I I came to it as a fan. You know, yeah. uh, Carl and Carl um, Carl Alvarez, our bass player. Him, he, we grew up together in Salt Lake. Him and I, we we met when uh, uh, we were both in junior high. We were in seventh grade. Um, he's a few months older than me, so I think he was twelve and I was eleven when we met. So, mm-hmm. um, so we joined. Uh, you know before well before we joined we were very big fans we we actually i think we may short of the ride the wild single which we didn't you know that that never made it to salt lake during the time you know that they had pressed it and put it out i think high school at the time Mm -hmm. um but there was a sort of an early recording not recording a, a early release of the fatty p uh on a comp uh a posh boy compilation cassette tape that we got a hold of uh i don't know how old we would have been you know 15 16 16 maybe Mm -hmm. you know somewhere in that you know neck of the woods and and that's where carl and i discovered um descendants and we were immediately huge fans and so uh, to join them later was, you know, kind of mind blowing as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of bands that I would love to join and, uh, I'm waiting on that chance. Like there's still, you know what I mean? Like I'm still waiting on a call from Sam. I am, I haven't got it yet. I'm still waiting though. Yeah. That, well, that, you know, you never know, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. that- it could happen. It's right, you know. And then, I mean, it's it's somewhat flattering when you know, because I have a band and I play music, and some people play in my band sometimes. And it's always kind of neat when someone says, "I want to be in your band." You're like, "Well, why would you want to be in my band? Like, I'm just a I'm just a nobody." But you know, it's the whole thing too with punk rock and the community. Everybody knew each other and still do. And you can you can move around, you know. And there's no pre judgment. There's always that rivalry. There's always that weird part of punk, you know, music where we're all a little bit insecure and we always want to be, I don't know, somewhat famous or something. But punk rock seems to sort of, uh, it sort of diffuses all of that ego and then it allows people like yourself to join your favorite band, right? Absolutely. Well, the, you know, oh, I, I remember I, I sort of, you know, we dipped our toes into, into um, you know, bringing bands to Salt Lake City mm-hmm. uh, when we were kids. And, and I think... I think that 
one of the earliest things that I latched onto, and it was the idea of of being able to sort of communicate with people who were making art that was really, really insanely important to you. Mm-hmm. You know that, that that you know where you could like walk up and ask you know Chuck Tukowski a question or Jello Biafra or something you know at a show and and like talk to these guys and they were just dudes and they would come crash on your floor or whatever mm-hmm. like that 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 piece of it that that um kept everybody humble and you know i mean there there's there's as you go through life yeah i mean there were probably competitive elements between bands certainly there was but you know now that certainly nowadays i don't think there's much of that you know no i mean there's certainly nobody i know looks at it that way we're all Mm -hmm. glad to be here we're glad we survived we're glad (laughs) we're glad everyone else our friends all survived i mean if if we made it to the other side we're all like stoked for it you're in the same club you're right you're right in and what you were saying what made me think is as you get older you start giving away you start having different priorities in life like you have children you have a mortgage you have a, a career and you have a mixing engineering career is what you do and and you sort of diffuse the the little bit of that well being a musician isn't like it was when i was 15 when it was the most important thing in the world or i wanted to be a musician life kind of changes your guide, uh, your, your guidance into, well, you know, there's other things in life. And, and some people, not us, they go work in an office. And I have no problem with that. I have no issue with that because that means that allows the people who really want to be a musician to be a musician. It opens that up a little bit, right? And, and we did what we, I think, would call it got, got a trade. So we could actually stay close to music and still work in music, but not have to always be worried about where that next paycheck's coming from and you know and yeah. things like that and you know it's a fickle you know kind of a rolling you know mm-hmm. industry of interest lack of interest it just goes back and forth yeah and and so i think you know to serve to survive i mean sooner or later any of us was going to be forced to live in some part of the real world a little bit or at least you know figure out where food was coming from or mm-hmm. figure out you know what skill set we may have lying around accidentally or on purpose that, yeah. that could keep us afloat and and people that we loved around us afloat and that's you know that's that's kind of what it is now you know and that's the that's the focus of it and you know it really for me and it reinforces the you know the the luck and kind of goodwill i feel that i get to continue to do it in any capacity oh Um, definitely definitely just like hey great (laughs) you know (laughs) awesome i can't believe it worked out like that like you know plan a still is somewhat relevant and plan b was okay and it's still somewhat relevant yeah 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 (laughs) you know not not a barista quite yet you know which nothing you know and and when i'm that i'll be fine with it but you know exactly there's um there's a, a friend of a friend opened a coffee shop over in Stittsville, Ontario, and it's called Quitters. And it's from a prominent female singer who was in the Canadian music industry. So we started a coffee company called Quitters. Awesome. <laughs> I think it's hilarious, you know. <laughs> Great. Right um, so, um, so Salt Lake, and then, so did you, so when you moved to, sorry, I was getting confused there. So when you moved to Washington, D.C., were you younger or older than, was it before or after uh, Salt Lake? It was after Salt Lake. I lived there for a little over a year in between, uh, um, in between leaving Salt Lake. Um, and going to L.A. I, yeah, I went, I went for, to go stay for the summer with my uncle who lived a little bit outside of, uh, outside in, um, of D.C. in Manassas, Virginia. 
And when I, not, not long after I got there, I had been, you know, the, the ex expectation was that I was going to go back at the end of the summer. Well, mm -hmm. the first time I set foot outside of the metro station in DC, I went, I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. And I loved it there. Mm -hmm. And I had a, I had a great time. I had a kind of a, sh a you know, a brief band with a couple of friends. That was fun. Um, and, you know, got to see amazing shows and, and, and just loved it there. And then, uh, you know, then I've been there a while and uh, I was managing a cookie and ice cream store in DuPont mm -hmm. Circle. And, and um, when Carl got to, you know, the chance to go out and play with, with Bill and Milo and, and, you know, was offered to, to join the band. Mm -hmm. And so when I called to congratulate him, that's when I found out they actually needed a guitar player too. And that's so, um, so I kind of quickly headed out there and played with them. And, and it, I think it probably made pretty good sense to Bill and Milo to just have, well, look, these guys are already friends. They have, they have a musical, you know, relationship. So I got to, I got to hop, <laughs> hop in the van too. So yeah, that yeah. was awesome. And there was a lot of time in the van and enough time to realize that if you're a really good player and you're not a very good person, then that can generally, I'm not judging the other people in the band, but I'm just saying, being in a band dynamic where you're in a van, you really need to um, get along. It's absolutely very important. And, and I think, you know, that was kind of it is, is like, it was, it was easy, easier to try to forge something between two sets of like oldest, you know, closest friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it was a lot easier to sort of like try to, you know, kind of, you know, throw that into, you know, throw that mix and see how, how it worked. And, and obviously, you know, we responded to each other well musically. There was a massive amount of very similar, um, you know, influences and, 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 you know, favorite bands and, and we just hit it off. And, and from there, it was really, you know, very much just, you know, the, the work ethic that was required to, to maintain a band in that in that era <laughs> you know it's just mm -hmm. like okay, we're gonna get the van we're gonna yeah. drive you know, we're gonna sleep wherever we can find and we're gonna you know yeah that's what it was as yeah. you well know <laughs> yeah what was your dynamic like because there's always one person with a job and i'm sure you all drove but did you have like the merch guy that did the merch did you have like a, a division of power so one person wasn't pulling their hair out um, I'm sort of projecting because that's that was me. That was my position that's in my view. Yeah, which is which has extended its way into your plan B to ex an extent. Yeah. Well, well, the the way it was was that you know Milo, of course, was always you know he was he was there was always the fact that school was going to be a thing for him. That mm -hmm. you know obviously, but, yeah. Um, and and so that was. So he was probably less directly involved in anything businessy, let's mm -hmm. say, you know, or whatever, like trying to, you know, the, the, the organizational stuff. But Bill always had, always has had a strong entrepreneurial spirit or an organizational thing. And of course, he had been, he had been exposed to all that young by diving in the band with Black Flag, who had already, you know, and, and done all the laps and he knew what to do. Carl and I, we had done shows, you know, we had toured around little tiny, you know, little regional things around Salt Lake and yeah. that kind of thing. But we were bone clueless as to, you know, what really happens. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we hopped in the van and then, you know, right before I left uh, DC, a, a friend of mine that I had made right after I moved down to that area, when I was actually living in Manassas, Virginia, um, Daniel, or we call him Bug, mm -hmm. Daniel um, 
he had sort of, you know, roadied somewhat a little bit, helped us move our gear with the little, you know, short-lived band that I, uh, friends that I played with in DC. And, and he was, he loved it. He was into it. He was, a you know, a little bit of a kind of a garage guitar player, you know, he would, you know, him and his buddies would jam and that kind of thing. And so he hopped in, you know, he, he basically, when I was leaving, he had a, a little party and he says to me, well, I'm going to come out there and be your, be your roadie. Oh, and there's a great story about that too, that I'll, that I'll add. So cool. one night, we're going up, so Bug and his his oldest friend, uh, Alan, or we call him Gooch, um, I'm driving with them. We're driving to DC from Manassas to go see a show at what is now the 930 Club, was then something else. So we're on our way up there to go do that. And they have this tape. They don't know what it is. It just says Milo goes to college on it. And so <laughs> they're like, hey, you'll probably know what this thing is. And and they throw it in, in the car stereo while we're driving. And, if, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, I'm like, dude, this is the descendants. I love these guys. And, and, you know, we go and, and they'd been listening to Milo goes to college without really knowing who it was. There was no internet. There was no, Amazing. You know, they, there weren't that many punk rockers, you know, where they live. There wasn't any real way for them to find that out without asking someone maybe from outside. And so that, that's, so that was just a funny story. So anyway, so when I'm, you know, then, then like, you know, a less than, you know, maybe a year later, I'm leaving to join descendants and, they, uh, Daniel's at my party to, uh, and, and he's, he's saying, Hey, I'm going to come out there and be your roadie. Uh, okay, great. So I go out there at six weeks later, who shows up and knocks at the door, Daniel, <laughs> you know, he just shows up and, and, uh, so he, you know, we didn't have a roadie guy or anything like that, anybody with us. And so he hopped in. And so back to your question about like sort of, you know, division of labor, how everything went down. Okay. Well, Daniel, when I met him, ran heavy machinery bulldozers and backhoes and that kind of stuff so he grew up in a he grew up in a in in that world very much and he was a hard labor guy that worked uh, you know at doing difficult manual hard work and he was he was well versed in the maintenance of things and taking care of them you know or you know, making sure machines were oiled there were, there was a, a mentality that you know the rest of us, four musician guys, we weren't clued. We we weren't yeah. clued in that kind of stuff. So what ended up happening is is everybody had their skill set that they were able to bring to it. Bill was more of the you know was and really is I would say uh, some you know more of like the kind of organizational guy. He's the guy who can sort of you know keep track of where you know any money we might have is or or you know a schedule or you know that kind of stuff because he'd already been doing it. Um, I sort of took on the driving that Carl doesn't drive. So that was sort of my, that was my thing that I kind of got into. And so I did the night long haul drive guy. <laughs> that was my, that was my thing. Um, so yeah, it was, all, it was always, you know, that kind of division of labor. Daniel, Daniel became sort of a jack of all trades. He, he you know, took care of kind of, you know, made sure everything was working. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was that, you know, and I'm sure all, I'm sure all, all, you know, all the other bands probably had that thing too, you know, some measure of, um, yeah, I was usually the guy that, uh, was dealing with a record label. I was the guy usually dealing with booking agent person, uh, routing, scheduling, taking care of the recording part of it. 
<laughs> driving. I did the late night hauls too because I couldn't trust anybody. Because you know we had that van crash, and that's forever changed me in my f- trust of other people's driving. Even now, I'm in a passenger seat. I'm like, hey, maybe you're going a little too fast. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a similar we had a similar yeah. thing because the one day one of our guys you know, after a party, I was too tired. This was before I was sort of the main driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, after he had done his shift and maybe I woke up and took over, he's like, oh yeah, I fell asleep for a second, scared me. And I I never left the driver's seat again. That was the end of it. I just, okay, I got this. Think of, think of the crazy shit you've put yourself into with that, where your routing is means you have to drive from Florida to somewhere that's you can't get there, and you'll be showing up for load-in time, which is three o'clock the next day, and you can't stop. You just can't stop, based on yeah. whatever whoever books it, you know. And we know sometimes booking agents they don't understand the concept that it does. Even if it takes twelve hours to get from one spot to the other, you still need to sleep. The dangers inherently common with bands and we've had you know we have friends in bands who have been in van crashes horrible and, and yeah. it's bad you know as i remember you know the circle jerks had one mm-hmm. i mean there were god we almost did we yeah. almost we we had we had a pretty bad near near <laughs> we had close you yeah. know too it seemed yeah. like a lot of people did Ugh. yeah and it's just because you're you're physically in a vehicle that's moving which is inherent danger um, right. If you're in a tour bus, the danger isn't as bad, but there's still fatalities. There's still people dying, like in crashes. But that's sort of like the way you have to go. I mean, it's it's not like heroic. Like we all, we don't wear capes while we're driving down the road, but it's one of those things. Like you put your life in danger, and it's for music. It's for art. It's to try and bring your message to people. And I think what gets lost a lot is that that is the part that gets you from there to there as the show. But getting there sucks. You know, it's yeah. not fun half the time. It can be, you have yeah. your moments, like you've probably had it too, moments of hysteria where you're like in the middle of nowhere and everybody all of a sudden all gets in that same tone where it's start laughing or like this one little joke, which has been going on for days, turns into everybody almost peeing themselves laughing. Like, yes. it's crazy, Absolutely. right? Yeah, because yeah. you're dealing, you're having the same emotion at the same time and the same with the same people that you've been spending all this time with, you know. And I, I love those moments, but I also hate the moments where you, you know, you can't get comfortable or you're like you're sitting there and it's like, how much are we getting paid? Oh crap, we don't have enough gas money to get us to the next gig and stuff like that. Like, oh, I guess I'm paying for it. So there's yeah, there's moments in rock and roll that people don't really get, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. And, and, you know, the, I think, I, I mean, those that do, uh, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that's for sure. God. <laughs> and, you know, the last couple of years, we haven't been doing it that way as much. We're more, we've been sort of in a, we, we could only do so many shows a year. Mm-hmm. So we, so we've been sort of in flying to shows more often, which is a joy. It's nice. It's really mm. different. It's really like, wow, this is weird. You know, flying and, you know, and then land there the night before and get ready and rest up, come up, play, you know, do your best, head back, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. The, yeah. yeah, the idea where some people didn't have the van experience, 
they fly out and they're they're popular or whatever they don't understand how awesome it is to have your own seat and someone giving you a drink or some nuts on the flight it's like it's like one of those little things you're like holy shit this is awesome like yeah this is great yeah what so you're gonna bring me a drink really so i could you know (laughs) wow this is amazing but you don't appreciate it until you've sat in a van in minus 12 degree weather with no air no heat no nothing like no van driving um you learn to appreciate i think Jay Bentley told me the story where old early bad religion days, like he would sleep inside road cases because it was warmer. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, get, in there. get in there. Right. You know, and yeah, it's the way, Absolutely. you know, it's funny, but you know, and it, it really, you do appreciate life a little bit more when you've, yeah. When you sat in a van and you've done your share of it and, you know, and it feels good when, you know, and you don't take it for granted. Like I know a lot of people do. They take that part for granted where you mean I got to fly out and then come back the next day. This is bullshit. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, wow. What no, happened? it's not. <laughs> no, it isn't. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm working for a band right now that they're trying to find one plane flight to get out to Vancouver, and they're going to drive from Toronto to go so they can actually get all of the right members to to the to the show. It's like they're driving from here. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. That's huh? what, like three three and a half. Days you can do it in two. Solid. You can do oh, it, do it in two. Forty-eight you... hours. I've done Toronto, uh, Vancouver to Toronto with two drivers. I did it forty-eight and a half hours. Wow. Non-stop. We stopped for gas and peace. That's it. And never stop. You didn't even stop for food. Um, right. That was Just probably the longest drive in. In a, well, I've done some longer drives, but like non-stop. Like what? What is your like craziest longest driving? I'm sure you have a lot of them, but. Like, what is one that just made your head go, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I'm still alive. We we did one. We did one that was like, we, maybe there was a, a flight problem. We were going to Europe. But, so we landed and our first show, I want to say it was in Denmark or Sweden. We did like a, tw- I, I, I basically flew, landed, got in the van and drove for 24 by myself and that you know into like the winter of sweden i think it was sweden (laughs) and and uh and i mean i've done that a handful of times like there was some like really really long you know boston to st louis one time i want to say that i I want i think that was it that was like you know a killer yeah (laughs) yeah Missouri to California, I did that, you know, I think, I think one time I did that like straight with maybe a, a four hour break or something like <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Know. I did uh, Charlotte to, to Salt Lake City. Uh, I slept a couple hours in the van, but I drove it pretty much straight by myself because um, I was working for some 41 at the time and they were going mm-hmm. to play with Weezer one show with Weezer. So they flew from Charlotte to LA and then I had got the van to Salt Lake, but instead of taking my time, I wanted to go play golf. So I drove straight to Salt Lake City because someone told me the golf was really good in Salt Lake City, which turns out it's not so great, but um, I still did it. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Oh man. Yeah. That's yeah. For golf. I mean, were you, weren't you like too tired to play golf? The next day. So I got to the hotel, slept, woke up the next day and went and played golf for the day. And the other thing too, is that if I would have taken the two days that normally would have taken me, I would have had to like basically drive to the airport from 
Salt Lake to go pick them up. And then, but I decided, oh, I want to get there a day early so I could actually sleep by myself and have a day by myself. And this mm. is the heavy, long touring days with these guys. Like I did 18 months in a row with these guys and, wow. and, and didn't stop. I had five weeks off in 18 months. So there were some pretty brutal tours going on. So I just wanted my own space for a day. So that was yeah. the way I could achieve it. Um, that was worth driving for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also yeah. did one when we went to Europe as Foursquare. I went there a day ahead to get the van in the back line. So I flew the midnight, like left at midnight from Toronto, arrived. I think it was like six in the morning. What, what it was it now? I can't. It was like really. No, it was like 11 or 12. Yeah, because six hours difference. Then drove from Frankfurt. No, took a, a train from Frankfurt to Cologne. Took another train up to the country somewhere. Picked up the van. Drove back to Dusseldorf and got the back line and then stayed somewhere uh, outside of Cologne. And that was one day, I think it was something like 29, 30 hour day of just traveling. Wow. <laughs> that's, Ugh. that's stupid. That's yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's not made for, you know, 51 year old me. 46 year much. old me this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm this year. You know, I'll be out with Descendants and Flag, um, and that will Flag has a couple runs that involve like steady driving, and I'm sure I'll be you know largely involved in that. But um, I I think routing is probably a little better than that, than it used to be <laughs> a lot of times back then, where it was like, well, we managed to find something you know yeah. three days drive from here. That's, yeah. that's then you have less to double back and come back and play that show and then double back the other way <clears throat> yeah yes yeah, i don't play, think we have to do that you're playing bigger venues i bet too right so that makes it important and uh, yeah yeah so they're decent so i guess all that greg ginn stuff got somewhat settled or is it can you talk about that or is that a a thing well it's not it's not like so much of a hush hush thing i mean it was settled finally and yeah. so we are able to we're able to play you know uh which we were anyway i don't think there was really anything he he's could not going to come and about be, that. he might yeah. come break your guitar he could try that that might work yeah yeah he could yeah and and you know that who knows you know that could happen but <laughs> but uh but um yeah so i mean the we were at least able to settle it to the extent that um i think i i you know bill bill said bill said something interesting i i a something that he'd heard somewhere else he, he was saying to me um about lawsuits is uh the only way it works right is if is if everybody walks away unhappy i'm pretty sure that's what happened mm -hmm. <laughs> you know is it yeah. uh, that's how i see it anyway everybody you know nobody got anything wonderful nobody got completely screwed other than you know we had to you know pay a bunch of money to deal with the issue and you know that we shouldn't have had to pay that there was you know that mm -hmm. was that was just, and, and who, you know, I, I, I don't know. I could never understand his motivations with any of that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's done now we can play and we will. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where it's at. It's like, okay, fine. We'll just play. Well, that, my, my opinion yeah. on it is, well, my opinion really means nothing on it. I mean, to just to get backstory is that, that black flag originally exists to people that don't might not understand what we're talking about. Right, but black right. flag was a band that Bill Stevenson played in. 
and several other people in your band played like it was basically what it is is black flag without greg ginn essentially and you know yeah like having the band without like kind of it's who was the the guitar player yeah well but you know principal songwriter and his principal songwriter and and the one consistent member throughout the entire history of the band i mean it's it's greg's band in a way and you know but but uh you know and and we all know that and respect that you know mm-hmm. i mean we 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 feel that way too about it sure. but he he sort of made it impossible to be involved with it himself is right. the way i see it because he was putting out this unlistenable record uh that came out around the same time i said that you didn't but uh he's... well and i mean but you know e- even the opportunity to play you know coming up or or you know, because certainly plenty of people wanted that to happen, wanted to see Black Flag play in some way. And it would have been really cool if the, if if they would have all still been friends and it could have fallen into place. But that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, somebody had to play the guitar parts. So, you know, mm-hmm. there you I, are. Lord knows I've spent enough hours, you know, sitting there kind of jamming along with it. I mean, he, he was my favorite guitarist. Yeah, so, it's pretty uh, obvious, too, you know. Yeah, I mean, Pretty it may, you know, it. I, I, if not me, you know, who <laughs> somebody had to do right. it, so it might as well be me. Yeah, uh, it's the way I see it, and and it was, it was, you know, it, it's been a blast for me. It's another one of those things of getting to, you know, dive headlong with people that I massively respect into songs that I absolutely, you know, are just hugely important to me. So Mm -hmm. just like it was with Descendants. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of just like, wow, I get to, you know, tap into what this felt like too a little bit and, Mm -hmm. and try to contribute. And, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Great. Um, and the other thing too, when what happened with Descendants is that Milo left, went to school, went and got his degree and then Descendants was sitting there doing, what are we going to do? Hence, you got all together. And then yep. all became all up until like, well, how long was all going around? It was like 89 to what? 88. 88. 88 through. Um, At least the mid 90s. Yeah, I mean, I would say. And still really, even yeah, to late 90s. Yeah, it was we? I think we stopped. There was a a period where we kind of, we didn't, you know, break up or like, you know, actively stop playing. But around, I want to say it was like maybe 2002, where we just really couldn't, you know, we, we didn't, we weren't a big enough band to really justify being out all the time. Which you were. Which we were. And Mm -hmm. so... It it just at a certain point it was like I don't know this isn't you know I mean this can't really sustain itself uh, mm-hmm. so so we you know we kind of moved into into our plan B's Bill and I that was always studio work and then mm-hmm. I ended up moving down here and just continuing on um, doing that and mm-hmm. uh, and then but you did have uh, sort of a larger record label behind you at one point we have Interscope behind you yeah two, yeah Interscope, two records two records just one, just one, just yeah. one. and yeah. you know. It, it seemed to make good sense at the time. We'd been in the same label uh, for years at that point. I mean, SST slash Cruise, and yep. then uh, well, that was that was up until that was up till like '94, and then I guess in '94 is when we we thought, okay, well, let's try this, and and we went to Interscope, did one record, and our A and R guy 
uh, three pummel, months right? after our record. Yeah, that was Pummel. Yeah, okay. And three three months later, our A&R guy, um, I guess, quit or just sort of disappeared from that world. And there was nobody at Interscope, I think, that was really that invested in us. And so we parted ways with them amicably. It was fine. And then, and then uh, just after that happened, Milo graduated you know he got his phd and he was done and he decided he wanted to take a little bit of time and you know maybe make a record and and do some shows and so that was that was uh what happened in 96 and and really culminating in 97 that was the everything sucks record and and we did that with epitaph you know we'd known brett for years of course and mm-hmm. so uh that seemed like a logical place to put the record out and and um and then we did a couple more all records uh after after that um I guess maybe 98, and I think one came out in 99 and the next one in 2000 or 98, mm-hmm. 2000, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did those two and, and that was sort of, you know, kind of, that was around the time that the band wasn't really able to sustain itself well enough to, you know, just stay in the band doing laps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make much sense to do that. And, and, you know, some of us were starting families at that point, yeah. you, you know, I was uh, myself. Well, there's a, there's a time in a band's career where people are like, uh, you know, they treat you like Polly Shore. You're like, fuck Polly Shore. You know, fuck that yeah. band. Huh? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we well, in a band like ours, you know, and, and certainly you've seen this in bands you've been in or bands you've worked with. It's, it's you know, at a certain point, I think people, you know, they're kind of, you know, if, if they get into the band and they're a little younger than you, that's kind of what yeah. happened a lot of times. And maybe they're a little bit younger than you. And then they start to drift off into normal life, adulthood, babies and marriages and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the need to not spend every cent, red cent on music, you know, that kind of stuff. Then they, you know, they start to sort of move into regular life. And, and depending on your band, that can you know, either there's another group of people that follow in their footsteps or there isn't <laughs> in, yeah. all, in all, I think in some ways there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of new, we, I think we were trying to find new people who might find the music interesting, but that wasn't really happening that yeah. much. And that's think. by getting, when you got Chad in the band, you completely changed the direction of what the vocal style was originally from original singers. Cause you've had how many singers in all? Four, three. Three. Yeah. Three, so, yeah. so, you know, from Smalley to Scott Reynolds, to Chad is like a progression of, you know, and I don't really have a favorite because there's favorite records in each era of all to me that resonate to a different time. You know, like I, I first right. moved to Winnipeg when Pummel, when I got the, um, the, the, um, the pre-release. So mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. listening to that. So that's a whole different part of my life than it was when, when I heard Percolator. You know, which is, right, you know right. what I mean? So there's different times. And I'm sure everybody has that era, like, you know, the Smalley years, the Scott Reynolds years and the Chad years. And, and Chad's been in the band longer than I think now than the other guys now, right? Absolutely. Really? Way longer. Yeah. yeah. Scott, I mean, Scott was, you know, Dave was in the band for about a year. Scott was in the band for four years. Yeah. Um, and then Chad, you know, it's been a long time, you know, but of course the band, I mean, it was working hard for, I don't know, nine years or something that he was in it. And then mm-hmm. it, you know, and slowed then down. Yeah. slowed down. And then mm-hmm. now when we play, you know, we're still friends with everybody. I mean, everybody's still cool with each other. And so, you know, now when we play over the last bunch of years, it's been like 
mostly Chad, but sometimes Scott, <laughs> you know, yeah. or Scott will come up, Hey, I got to, you know, yeah. we did a benefit show for a friend of his not that long ago. We went down to Austin and played. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's revolving door. I mean, Chad's our singer, you know, but it, yeah. but it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit open-ended and a little bit, you know, unclear <laughs> and yeah, that, yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, it's, it's got a little bit broader thing than some bands do maybe. That keeps and, it uh, neat. It keeps it neat yeah. in my opinion, you know. Well, it's cool. We've, we've managed to do a bunch of shows with like, you know, either two or three all singers, you know, we've done that, you know, mm -hmm. but I, one thing I'll say interest that's kind of been interesting about all is we'll play, you know, for the longest time when descendants weren't an active band, all, you know, we tended to play, a, you know, a large part of our set was descendant songs, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, and eh, not, maybe not quite half, you know, maybe a third or something, but I mean, certainly we were keeping those songs alive and well in our set and but now with descendants being active all the time we're able to you know all is for the first time sort of just able to kind of be all you know so we play once in a while we do a few a few sets a year you know and 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 it's uh it's kind of fun i mean in a you know it, it's a it's a different kind of band than descendants and and all I don't know the collision of weird influence and all of the time and all those records, you know, there's just so much stuff there. <laughs> yeah. so, and yeah. it varies so dramatically between, you know, that it, I think that was part of the complication of all is it, is that it was changed a lot. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like, Oh, all oh, they do this. And I like mm. this, that, yeah. that that could never happen. You, yeah. you, you're going to only love two thirds of an all mm -hmm. record, even if you're a fan, yeah. <laughs> even if you yeah, like yeah. it. And quite, yeah. and if you think about it mathematically, like, well, Descendants had Milo's voice. And Milo's voice has been Milo's voice since Descendants were Descendants. And when all has different brands, it has different versions of it and different, and it stretches more. In my opinion, musically, it stretches way more than Descendants do based on the fact that you're not limited to that Descendants. Um, I don't want to say formula because that's the wrong word because I can't figure out the right word for it. But um, train of thought, I guess. You yeah, know, yeah. Cohesiveness. And there's, and you know, we're we're you know the songs that are going to rise to the surface that might get you know tossed in in either band's pot are ones that are that are well suited to that group of four people playing them. Yeah. And so you know that's that's why that that is I think accounts for some of the difference between the two, some, mm -hmm. you know, and how they sound. But you know, the other thing is that, I mean. We, you know, while there's, I guess there's been plenty of membership change in Descendants over time, um, yeah. though not most of it, not for a really long time, like 30 years, you know, so, yeah. so it's kind of like rapid change in the beginning and then no change for, for many years. Well, with all, you know, not only, you know, when, when a singer would, would leave and we'd get another one, that meant that one fourth of the writing of the band pretty much changed. changed. Yeah. And that's, that means that, you know, that, that can mean a lot. And plus, you know, plus the voice, which is something that, you know, people strongly, of course, focus on. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a, all is a tougher band to love in a way, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, we're getting, we're, funny thing is like we play shows now and, and I mean, certainly they're going to be a lot more sparsely attended than a Descendant show or sure. than a flag show maybe, but, but like, there's people out there that actually like it pretty well now, I think. And I think it gets, you know, people are like, oh, I don't know, maybe all it's kind of cool in a way or something, yeah. you know, so they'll, they'll, they'll check us out now once in a while. And, and when we, you know, if we go play one of the festivals, you know, people, 
people give it a shot. You know? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, the that same the thing that just to agree with you is that uh, somebody said, "Hey, you want to do an interview with somebody from Leatherface?" I'm like, Leatherface. Holy crap, where have they been? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Leather, they Leather around? They're yeah, come, sure. Yeah, you know, and it's like they have a new band with uh, Hugo from uh, the St. Um, Catharines. It's like, do you want to do... I'm like, holy crap, I remember Leatherface in a van, driving somewhere, going, what the hell is this? This is awesome. It's not quite this. It's not quite that. And going, I really like this. And I think it's the same appreciation to a band like All, where where you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I love that. I think I still have a T-shirt somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's guys yeah. like us who are, like, squeezing into our all shirts because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, exactly. it's fun, you know? And, I, you know, the generation of being the not-so-cool dad, I think that part's changed a little bit since since our dads were dads, right? Like, and I don't know. I can't explain it. There's no real reason why. And maybe it's just bias because I think I'm a cool dad. But, um but I think that there's a different. Our dads a, thought they were cool dads. Too, yeah, you know? yeah, I know that's the true thing. You know, it's true. But at the same time, to realize like there's friends of ours who have three kids, a job, but still went to see bands that we saw. You know what I mean? And yeah, I don't know. I just find it a little bit. I find it neat because I'm living through it. And maybe when yeah. and when we saw our dads, we're like, oh, dad. You know what I mean? But they were probably cool people too, right? You know? Yeah, know. totally, yeah. absolutely. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you, oh gosh, because we didn't even go to the part where you you record bands, you produce bands, you do all this stuff. But there was this time when you came up to Canada and recorded our first, my first real recording. What we were called Kingpin back then, but you did our Disturbo album, or ha you did three quarters of it because we ended up going and recording some more stuff and putting it on the same album. And now, in hindsight, an error. We should have done an EP. We shouldn't have tried to mix our recordings with your recordings because it was impossible to master but <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah because yeah. you did this amazing job and you came up and you had this funny like i'm gonna do it for five i'm gonna i'm gonna have a five dollar a day per diem and do this stuff. <laughs> you have to buy me lunch you have to yeah. buy me lunch <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was like uh this amazing feat to have a guy like you who understood music like we didn't and that was to me an, an important thing because you literally taught me how to play bass in about two hours. You're like, no, this is how this is how you do it. I came in with my own stuff, and you're like, no, 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 no. Think Sting. I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's cool stuff because I never even considered playing eighth notes in a band. And then um, you know, here you go. You you taught me how to play bass. Remember, I had that Rickenbacker too. I don't know if you remember that bass. I had this I white Rickenbacker. And that's all I had. Is that what it was? Wow, that's yeah. kind of awesome. It was kind of cool, but at the same time, it was not the... Um, I don't think it would have been in the bass. My first bass is choice now to play in that band. I probably would have a different bass. I have, subsequently have had the same bass since a year after that. I still have it. It's sitting right here. Is so, that right? Yeah, yeah, man. I've had it for, gosh, since 90, 92, 93. What is it? It's a BC Rich Eagle. Oh. Badass bass. And it and it just it does the thing. It does it's, it right. Yeah. It does it right. I play it right. You know how it is, right? You find a guitar, you find an instrument that you can really gravitate to or understand. And I've 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 tried to play P basses. I've tried to play jazz basses. Can't do it. This bass, for some reason, because it's neck through, I feel that I can play it better, and I know where all the spots are. You know what I mean? You know it's mm -hmm. right. You know mm -hmm. you find you find your instrument, you pair with it, and I will never buy another bass. I've had like seven guitars or six guitars, but I'll never get another bass because you have it yeah you got the bass thing covered yeah yeah that's yeah. Kind of awesome i mean it, it's i i am i largely 
Well, you know, I had the same Dan Armstrong guitar that I played for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had one stolen, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that's the one that got stolen. I've had two stolen. And yeah. that and that <laughs> one, that that guitar, it played really, really well. Mm. It just it had it just felt great. It was the balance, everything about it was right. It felt it felt really good. And I was comfortable with that. Well, then after that was gone, and, and it was really not roadworthy at the time that it was mm-hmm. stolen anyway. So it, um so I've got this uh, music man um, that I've, yeah, I was thinking about it. I got, I got it at the end of 97. Yeah, Is that the one with the, um, the one you brought up one volume knob? This thing. Yeah. It doesn't even have a knob. Oh, it's, that's the one you showed me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is, it's just a plank, you know, yeah. <laughs> I love this guitar yeah. and you know, it, it, um, it, it's, I don't know this, these music man guitars, like I'll pull them out of the case and they just, I mean, they're just like perfect. perfect. They just sit there and they just work. And I mean, they're you know they're they're really interesting that way. And that that same one, it's funny because I, I I was talking about this with my wife that she's actually been like I think I'm starting to worry now that you since you fly with that guitar all the time that it's gonna that it's something's gonna happen to it stealing mm-hmm. breaking something's gonna happen to it and you're gonna be really bombed because I mean that this guitar I played this thing for years now i mean it's seriously like you know i i got it in the end of 97 and i played it ever since mm-hmm. and i have other you know i have another one of them it's like a green color with no with no knobs or anything just a straight you know but this one i i there's i don't know why it has some little edge to it for me and so i have to start considering whether i need to get a different one to travel with you know so that like if it gets stolen broken if the worst happens that i didn't go god i just lost an instrument that i must have done a thousand shows with i was um i had a guy on the on the show who's a flamenco guitar player and he had paco lucia's um flamenco guitar given to him by paco lucia it's Holy a forty thousand dollar um, he's on my YouTube. I'll send you the link after, but he plays flamenco. He's from Malta. Um, he's from like, you know, this little island off of the coast of Spain. And he's a, f- a flamenco guitar teacher where I used to work. $40,000 estimated. It's autographed by Paco Lucia. Paco de Lucia. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, you may be right. I don't know. I, I think I, it's, I've yeah, seen him play before. I know. I totally, you know, yeah, I, I'm he's a, a dude. Guy, yeah. He's, he's wicked. Yeah. He's wicked. And he, <laughs> so that's awesome. And he took this guy, Roger Skinora on tour with him. And, uh, because he's played Paco, I think I, now I'm confused. I think it's De Lucia. I think you're right. But he plays, he's like the, I don't know, the Van Gogh of flamenco because he started with just traditional regular flamenco and then started getting into new age, crazy, wacky stuff that had nothing to do with flamenco, but it kind of did. And he has eras of his of his music. And this guy, Roger, went on tour with him and opened and he played one of Paco De Lucia's records <laughs> for him as a, a you know wow. as a tribute in front of all these people and yeah but yeah his guitar that's awesome 40 grand for uh, an acoustic guitar um i have a gretsch silver jet that i bought from brent belke that was on the wheat chief's redeemer album so i'm and he took it on tour with him and stuff like that so to me that guitar never goes out of tune it flies i don't i don't have to worry about anything about that guitar like i've taken a telecaster to europe and it just blech, it uh, it does not behave, and then I wow. I would never consider I have a Les Paul Gold top, but I'd never consider taking that anywhere other than maybe into Toronto to play. 
um, just because it's old. It's from 1971, and it's, you know, uh-huh. it's got that headstock, whoa, you know? And... The ev- yeah, the Everything Sucks guitar is a 73 mm-hmm. Les Paul. It's a It was a deluxe that somebody had routed out, put, um, like, lawsuit-era Ibanez humbuckers in it. And I still have that guitar, and it just kind of, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get, you know, I just got to keep that one, in, you know, because that... Yeah. That thing, if you breathe on it wrong, it's going to break. Yeah. So I think Kastner, John Kastner, still takes his like junior. I think it's from the fifties. I think he still takes it and plays it and takes uh, it to you know, and it's beat the crap. But it's uh, that's a great sounding guitar, by the way. His his junior that he I think he's played ever since Doughboys, early Doughboys days. Um, he had Les Pauls when we were tour together, but 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 he has this junior that's uh, like a fifty-seven, I think, junior. But it's wow. just now we're guitar nerds portion of the podcast, folks. Yeah, so. that's cool. That's, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that gets to happen. Yeah, but um, no, but I mean, just just to say, like you know, being taught how to play bass by you know somebody like that—that that was something. And I don't know what your take on it was because you're just coming up, and you and then the next thing you did, we went down and did. Um, uh, did you do Batch by Big, Big Drill Car right after that, right? Yeah, yeah, right after that, like days after that. Pretty yeah. much, right? And that's a yeah. anyway. If anybody gets a chance to hear that album, that album is to me is a classic album. That that album well, blows me funny. away. The way I ended up, you know, I I I had wanted to know about recording always, like since I was a little little kid. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a reel to reel tape deck as part of our stereo when I was growing up, and I was just fascinated by the thing. I loved to record, you know, into yeah, yeah. you know, I lo- I just loved the idea of like you know capturing sounds. Mm-hmm. I I was a, we had a little microphone with it, and I was always recording stuff, mm-hmm. and so I I definitely had the bug for it, and so I, I had been in only tiny little studios and only for a few hours at a time before diving into Descendants All after I joined the band, and so. I, uh, I immediately just was obsessive about, you know, trying to learn everything that I could about it and, and try to figure out what was going on. And so the way that I came up in it in recording, it was more like you just try to help the band do the best they can and get through the thing alive. It isn't like, you know, it's, and, and often you're going to be bringing stuff to people's attention that they had never considered, which I think is probably right where we were talking about with the eighth notes, but, okay. but, um, but it's, you know, really, as it, you know, even today, it's still just trying to get everybody kind of through it alive, still have fun and get, you know, try to capture the thing that they want to capture. Yeah. And, and I just sort of try to help along. You know, I, I, I usually, I, I, I don't have a grand idea. I just kind of like to get a vote. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can, I, can I make a vote? Okay, I say we do this. Yeah. And then if people, if people say, no, no, we're not doing that. That's cool. That's your song. We can yeah. do it your way. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. You can ruin it if you want. <laughs> yeah, you can fuck that up. That's cool. You know, uh, uh, yeah. And and sometimes they do. And and I've let plenty of people just go ahead and yeah, do that. And just later on, that. they've gone, yeah, well, yeah, I should have listened. But it's, you know. Yeah. But I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I did uh, my first, very first Foursquare album in the early 2000s with Ian Blurton. He used to be in Change of Heart. I don't know if you remember that. You ever heard of that? I remember Change of Heart. Yeah. Yeah. And Ian Blurton did it. And that's the first time I ever saw someone write notes on my songs and come and actually do real pre-production, which I kind of knew existed, but I didn't know I could be a part of it. And the learning experience about his, his ethic of writing a song whether or not his music is like riffy rock and roll, but he is a, he understands the concept of pop music or power pop music. Like 
and he had all these notes written out and he had all these things and decided and would literally look at his piece of paper and go, I think you need to take the bat and put that over there and do this. And it would be like one of those people that you can't just, you know, it doesn't happen by accident where you're making a nice pasta meal and it tastes awesome one day. He would actually be like that mechanical, meticulous, let's look at this and let's make this work. And it made every song better. I mean, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and there's people like Albini who just go, hey, man, I'm just taking a picture of it. You know, I'm taking a, right. you know, so, you know, where do you sit there? You sound like you're one of those maybe want to be in the band kind of like you're in the band. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of I kind of. Um, you know, I, I I I guess I'm probably I've grown to be more closer to the somewhere maybe leaning a little bit towards the albini camp because mm-hmm. i i don't seem to want to dive in and change anybody's songs mm-hmm. uh you know i mean unless it's just like i'm listening to it and i'm going this isn't making sense do you guys think blah 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 mm-hmm. you know and i'll cut you know and, and um but but again then it's just a vote you know, if somebody's really, you know, somebody's really married to it, mm-hmm. then then it should go that way. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If anybody has a strong opinion, I say we go with that. <laughs> you know, because okay, well, cool. Let's let's use that. Yeah. Um, but I I've been over over time more trying. I, I say I'm I'm more probably involved with the performance itself with each person. That's kind of that seems to be what when I started recording and there was no pro tools yet, it was just Mm -hmm. tape. The only thing that you could do to improve the record from just setting up mics and hitting play Mm -hmm. was to try to figure out ways to get the members to to play at their best. Yeah. To play as, as well as they could play, Mm -hmm. whatever that was, bring whatever suggestions to the table that would help that happen. And so, so my, I took, I take my role as to, as to, you know, I, I'm cocky enough, I guess, to to uh, assume that I that I you know have an opinion worth hearing, and so I'll I'll be like, you know, I think this would sound better if you did this or that thing, and and I have some outside perspective because I haven't been in there, I haven't dealt with the practice room discussions mm-hmm. or or you know the picture in somebody's head. I haven't dealt with any of that. Fresh so, ears, fresh ears, and all that. Yeah, so fresh ears. So I'm so I'm. I'm I'm going to bring to the party what I think. Hey, I think this approach to playing this section, this piece, this chorus, this song, whatever it is, I'm going to bring that to the party because I feel like that's you know very much something that I should do. And uh, but that seems to be the larger part of what I do. Mm-hmm. And and so at the end of the day, you know, it is really more like kind of glorified engineering. Yeah. <laughs> than production you know what i mean absolutely and yeah i mean i can i can edit and i can tune and i can do all you know i can do all that stuff i mean yeah. and i do now the, the mistaking the problem too that i found like because i came in at the end of tape and i went straight to adats and then i had my studio with adats up until i got a computer in 2003 and then went computers and big computers ever since my problem with having too much and too much time is that i add too much so in my own music and, and with other people's with recording, and I'm getting better at being able to pare things down now and understanding like there's a place and there's a time uh, to, you're not coming out with like a, a friggin' circus show where it's all this stuff happening at once because you can. It's not just because you can, 
that you should, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm trying to find out the reason why, you know, why should we put this weird, obscure noise back here? Because we have a track or it needs to be there. Um, right. Right. So, right. you know, and I, you mixed, you mixed a Foursquare album for, for me and it was great hearing it. And you basically took, I think, cause I'd put too much in there and I had too much. It was just too much distortion and it was just too much, too much. And it, then to someone to take all the mix and then, take the important stuff and make it heard and that that's i learned a lot then too and i've been learning all along the way now about trying not to use like trying to keep it under a certain amount of tracks and trying not to make it too put too much of me into it because i've done that all the time and um and the other part is is when someone gives you you've done your recording and you can subtly make things your own without them really being aware of it like if you have that one remember yes. in tape days right there was that one kick drum that was coming in too early that would just drive you bananas or you heard a bad punch or you heard something that was just unfixable because you put the drums away in the tape machine and you're in a different studio different country now you can just go you know what i hear that bad symbol i'm just gonna change that because that drives me nuts yeah right? yeah yeah that and that's that's you know I've i've been thinking about that whole thing a lot lately because so, you know, that when I look back on it, so much of the music that I find, you know, that I hold most dear or whatever is is essentially demos. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what they are. They're really documents of a live performance. You know, the Bad Brains cassette, all mm -hmm. those Black Flag records, you know, that they're, they're, those things weren't labored over in that way. They were, you know, they were documentarian in nature and, and, um, and he, you know, yeah, I'm a Sergeant Pepper's guy. I mean, the Beatles are my all time favorite band, but, but it, you know, so I, I can fully appreciate, you know, tearing stuff apart and getting ugly in the studio and making something, you know, that's bigger than, than reality can, can bear. But, but, uh, so much of what I love is just, is really just sort of captured moments i guess you know and so lately when i when i'm listening to music or making music you know sometimes when i'm making stuff you know i i'm making music of my own i do a little bit of tv music i do some uh i write a lot you know i write a lot of stuff a lot of it never sees the time of day sometimes i record covers you know mm -hmm. over over the years i've done a bunch of that just for the hell of it just because mm -hmm. i wanted to dissect the song and see what it feels like in there if me I could, too you know yeah me too just understand what happened that built up this thing that was so yeah. important to me um yeah. and and so you know i've i've i have learned to let go of a lot of that stuff i don't have i just don't seem to have the 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 desire or the the love for stuff that's really really meticulously looked you know just dissected and taken apart and reassembled mm -hmm. i just you know yeah I, it's i'm losing my i used to kind of like a lot of that but i think i i've i'm losing some of that so sometimes when i record something it's very very crude <laughs> it's very crude yeah and and I take it for what it is. And then I, you know, it, it, it comes out how it comes out and then I can put it away or I can go, well, I'm never listening to that again. Cause it sucks or, Hey, that's kind of awesome. And, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I might listen to it again sometime. And that, yeah. that came out cool. Yeah. You know? I've, I've talked to people that say, 
I did this demo. It was the best song I've ever written. And then we went to the studio and screwed it up and couldn't get that back. And it's demoitis, right? You can't bring that back. And I mean, my only, my, my story to that is that I gave a bunch of demos to Bad Taste Records and they were like, hey, let's do this. And then we tried to record them again. And we had like at that point, a different drummer. I didn't play bass on it. It was sort of like, let's try to make this a different to the demos. But the original demos with the other guys, you know, that's what made that, that's what got us, you know, obviously on that record label. It was very tough to get back the fire that took because I had my own studio. I could just go there and write the song and have it done. I have drums. I have something close to lyrics. I have all the, you know, the arrangements are there, but it just needs to be. And then now my, my whole thing now is like, let's just put a band together, write the song there. Like, let's not worry about me giving you a song let me just let's all just meet we all kind of know how to play let's just meet and write a song and then we all have a part in it and then we'll all have fun whether it's that band or this band or just a bunch of people i I, i'm finding that collaboration is much more important than it was when i wanted to be bon jovi you know what i'm saying yeah well (laughs) you know it's funny i've been having a lot of thoughts about all of that too because it, it it's you know no doubt very weird to to write music in a vacuum and do the whole thing in a vacuum. Now, for a long time for me down here uh, in, in Tulsa, I, I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, I, I'm, I'm the, so, my wife has, you know, a very set hours, a real, mm-hmm. you know, regular job with set mm-hmm. hours. And so, you know, it, it, so since I do most of my work from home, it, it was a lot more logical for me to be the person driving kids to school in the morning and doing all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's the role that I take on. And, um, and so I didn't really have, my kids were young. I didn't have any time to start a band down here, mm-hmm. get a place and, you know, really involve myself in that too much. So so, you know, that sort of manifested itself in me doing a lot of stuff by myself, which is sort of how that, you know, I put out a record in, in 2010. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, where now I can't really, I'm, I'm a awful singer, terrible and, and really pretty much useless as a lyricist. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I have, I, I was writing all this stuff though. I still want, you know, my, just cause I'm not doing music anymore. doesn't mean that I don't want to be and that I'm not, that I, my head isn't just buzzing every second of the day with yeah, yeah. melody, harmony, there's yeah. rhythm. It's just all in there mm-hmm. and recording everything about it. It's all just churning around in there. And so I was, you know, filling up hard drives with stuff. And so eventually there were so many songs and I was just kind of going nuts and, uh, my wife suggested I just go ahead and kind of record them all. And I did. And then <laughs> well, then I'm figuring now what do I do? <clears throat> and so I started asking friends, uh, you know, I started calling up friends. Like, hey, would you write, you know, write mm-hmm. some lyrics and sing a song on uh, that I wrote. And I sort of, you know, put that record together. And so I got really used to doing everything by myself mm-hmm. at that time because I couldn't, you know, there, there was There's no relying, no support system. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't really drag a bunch of people into it and expect to be consistent myself with it. I couldn't. So, so, you know, my choice was really to do it on my own and I grew to, you know, it's a good test of yourself. It's a good test, but you know, there is, there is, you know, what makes a band is, is the weird little, little 
funny things about your playing rubbing up against the weird funny things about another person's playing i mean that's what makes that's what rock and roll is it's yeah. that it's that 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 you know combined thing mm -hmm. and so you know that that's you know i i think about that stuff a lot not that i have any answers there or i don't mm. even know why i bring it to the discussion no, no, except that yeah. that it's a it's it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately because you know we just finished a, a descendants record we're done you know now um and when when is it out and do you can you have a date on it or a name we don't have a date we don't have a name yeah. we're still we're still you know we're kind of that that you know we're still figuring that part out right, right. uh i think it'll come out in may or june june maybe cool. so probably june when right. it when it comes out and uh i'm you know excited about that we had a great time and i got to you know there, there's there is you know there's all that playing chemistry that happens yeah, uh, yeah 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 you know that's really cool and i and and with those guys and it's a known quantity i love how it feels and just every time i can just sink right in and it's and it's and it's killer mm -hmm. um and so I'm, you know, certainly glad to have that back after just kind of being like me, you know, a guy in a room. You yeah, know, for yeah. All those years. yeah. Um, I'm really glad to be recording something with my guys. Yeah. And like that, that, you know, I, you know, we, we know how it's going to feel and it's going to feel good to do for us. And so that's been really fun to do, but already, you know, I mean, no sooner is the mixing done and the mastering finished. We're like, yeah, okay, we're good that, that I'm, you know, I'm still sitting on piles of songs. I right. don't, you know, it's not practical. Some of them, they wouldn't, they, they would sound terrible for Descendants, you know, because they're just not that. They're just other, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so I've been trying to figure out, you know, do I do another one of those weird records where I play everything myself or, or what, mm. you know, so. Well, yeah, you know, see, the last record I did, I played on, I think, half of the, I played everything on half of the record, you know, and, and then I had, like, my co-writing buddy, Al, who's been in the band since the early 2000s, he came in and helped me with lyrics and helped me with things, but I wrote pretty much the whole record myself, and maybe calling it the, the band name wasn't a, probably a correct thing to do, but it was the only thing I could do that was sort of, like, close to any sort of recognizable name, you know, so, right, you, you right. know. But yeah, I, I, I think to me to say now, I want to sit in a room with a bunch of people and make music. That is a direct result of what I had gone through making my own record basically all by myself and having no real assistance. I mean, the record before that is probably just me. I think that's just me and uh, Kevin from uh, Ten Foot Pole. He played drums on it. So uh -huh. it's just, it's just us two. So I need something. I need to. I need to put a bunch of people in a room. I have the room. You know what I mean. There's an all call. Right, that's you know, true. I have the space. I have a PA system. You know, I'm the kid with the van. Well, I don't have a van, but I got. You know, but I. You know, to find uh, to find a bunch of people who are like minded, it's a tricky proposition because here we are. We, it goes back to we're we're dads. Like we're we have lives. Yeah. We have other things to do. Uh, it's like. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the only thing I can uh, compare to is those dudes that go out at like eleven o'clock at night to go play hockey. I don't know. You might, you uh, might have that, but there's like a league up here where, you know, dad leaves at 1030 and comes back at 1230 at night after playing hockey twice a week. And that's his thing. That's what he does. It's really tough to find people like that who are musicians, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so many of the musicians I would probably end up playing with are in the same boat that I am. Yeah. And that, that was a lot of why I ended up just kind of doing everything on my own because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, you don't want to, 
try to you know make something and not be able to make it great that's yeah. the thing I, yeah. you know i want it to be you know, my, my expectations of you know my bar has been set incredibly high yeah. playing with the, the yeah. people i have over the mm -hmm. years i've just been so lucky to do yeah. that yeah. and so the bar is set so high that i i'm i haven't i haven't been able to sort of i i can't do it casually I can't do it just casually and not give a shit. It doesn't work like that. That, you know, the internet, we have the internet. We're having a conversation over the internet. This is great. This is awesome. But how much better would this conversation be if you're sitting, sitting right here? Totally. Right. Totally. So we are making contact. We're doing something that's actually good and purposeful. We're sharing our ideas with each other over the internet. Same with writing a song. Here's my song. But I think there's a level of importance that when you say, get in your car, and you drive with your instrument and you get out and you plug it in and you tune up and you go, okay, what's the first chord? You've already put hours into your venture to get to before the spot with playing. And I think right. what gets mixed, missed with the, uh, with over the internet, here's my song, write some lyrics and send them back. There's a nonchalance to it that is not, it's, it's important and people want to do it. But I find myself like when someone says, Hey, I'm going to send you my acoustic. Can you play some stuff on it? I'm like, Sure but I don't find it as important if they say, I'm in the city, I want you to come down, I want you to play bass on my record. That is a whole different um, scenario. Right. right. That's true. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point. Cause that, that's a, that's a, um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought there because it, it, on that record that I made, there was only one vocal done here. Mm -hmm. uh you know where you know with with uh me here because i did it with a friend of mine who lives in town john moreland mm -hmm. uh i did that song with him and so he was able to come in you know he i gave him my song and he just wrote it came in and said hey here's my lyrics and he went in and he blasted it out and it was killer and it was like yeah kick ass thanks mm -hmm. dude. and it was great and there wasn't really he's a very complete guy in his head the way he works yeah. so i mean he he knew exactly what he was doing and it was already done deal in his head so there wasn't there wasn't any pull back and forth but you know that's it would be cool to have more of the sort of back and forth you know it it was really fun to get songs and and go wow okay this is what this person responded this is how this person responded to the music exactly. I sang. Yeah. that was cool that's that's awesome and that yeah. was really good and 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 I'll likely do it again that way at least in part but it would be cooler to have a chance to do at least some of it, you know, with, you know, with the person mm -hmm. just so you could like, you know, this line would be so cool if it had yeah. this thing, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. just to get to like, yeah. you know, throw a few ideas into the mix. Yeah. And that, that is, that is kind of awesome. I think we're almost there too, with the speed of internet and how things are going to be ramping up in the next five years that you will be able to sit there on your studio. It happens, right? You have these, there's some websites there where it's like you jam along with each other. I don't know how good they are, but you can collaborate with people. But I think when the internet gets to that next plateau of real-time communication where we can both talk at the same time or you're immersed in the conversation like you almost feel like you're in the same room um whether it be with goggles or something or you know what i mean anything right, who, right, who knows right. like star trek shit. when they figure out that then we can then start reinventing new ways to create music with each other right now it's sort of like we're in that we're we're pal, uh, pen buddies or we're, we're, you know what I mean? Like I'll send you a little letter, I'll write you a letter and then you write me the letter back. You know, we're still there, but obviously faster. But like if I send you my song and then you do things to it and send it back, 
there's that time wasted even just be, by getting sent over and I'm not sitting here listening to you play that part where I can interject my idea into your idea and make it a either a better or a worse idea regardless there's still collaboration right. on a real time basis we're almost there man like even between yeah. when I started this podcast a year ago and now I'm finding that the internet connection is much stronger. Everything's better. I don't know why. Maybe it's my system I got here. But I do feel there was times where you'd be sitting there talking and you hear that person go, and you're like, huh? Like, you remember us talking on Skype a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy fuck, was that coming? Yeah, that's super. Yeah. It's like, ah, after a while, he's like, I can't deal with this. Steph and I have something very important to tell you. The plane arrives at. Oh man! Well, I you know, I now I could talk to you all day. I you know I I really I I I like the fact that there's people out there like you that still make music. They still they still play actively in music. They still create and help other people with their music. And you know, there's a lot of us out there. But there's certain people that, you know, like I say, I can gravitate to for ideas. And we don't talk as much as even we didn't really talk much over the past. I've known you about th- almost 26 years. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we've hung out, I don't know, not that many times. But I really, you know, I find that we have a, kind, you know, a kindred spirit, though, when it comes to why we play music, why we write music and, you know, and how and things like that. And, um, you know, this is this is the wrap up. You feel it? You feel the wrap up? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. I said, I was like, he's wrapping up. I'm wrapping up. Yeah. I, um, yeah. So yeah, man, like anytime you want to come on the show, uh, and, and, and do this again, uh, I hope you had a good time doing it, you know, cause this totally. is, yeah, totally. No, it's cool. That's, that's, that's a good time. And I, I, I need to, I need to, uh, you know, I, I, I socialize only in my little sphere here or I go to shows and then it's like, yeah. You know, it's like yeah. crazy, crazy guy. Yeah. And so uh, this is a this is a thing I haven't done very much of. I've only done this one, uh, you know, a couple other times. So sure. It's uh, it's cool to it's cool to do it. I appreciate I appreciate you asking me to do it. Hey, man. Awesome. Cool. My friend, Stefan from Descendants and all. Everybody, thanks so much for listening to this episode. This is a long one, wasn't it? Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's getting on to 80-some-odd minutes. Thanks so much for listening to this show, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you so much to FetchClass.com, Insight Recorders. Don't forget to go to the Apolog.ca and click on the banners. The affiliate programs, Banggood, Musician's Friend, and Amazon. Don't forget to purchase... A shirt or whatever from the Apolog shop, apolog.ca slash shop, I believe. You'd be helping the show up by pledging on patreon.com slash Apolog. And that is a very cool system for you. If you want to get involved with that, that'd be very cool. Let's get a fourth person in there. All right. Let's let's get let's get one more person between now and a month from now. Okay. If you do it, you can pledge a buck. Even if it's just a buck. Then when it says you have four patrons. That that's that's cool. I could dig with that. Everybody, please, please tell a friend and go to facebook.com slash pod if you want to find out any more information on up-and-coming shows, up-and-coming shows, listen to me, and also any news happening. Uh, go follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666, and I really only just tweet out the episodes. I don't, I don't get all wordy on Twitter, but I'm on there, and I'm getting about almost up to 90 followers. This is pretty cool. 
Yeah, sorry for burping in your ear. Also, iTunes, please rate, subscribe, review the show, give it some stars. Five would be awesome. Tell me how much you love the show. It makes me feel great. Next week, I have Mr. Rude Van Steens, an original Toronto punker from a band called Arson. Everybody, see you next week, okay? Okay, bye-bye.